looking in Numbers 33, but we'll also be looking at 2 Corinthians 5 uh, uh, after a few passages of introduction. We're thankful that the Kirby family is with us. They were announced this morning. We're thankful that they're here. We're thankful that immediately after this service, we'll have the opportunity to spend some time with the Fowlers and be sure and stay for that finger food fellowship. We look forward to that time. We're also thankful for the things this weekend, uh, such as on Saturday morning, there were 120 fruit baskets delivered to shut-ins and widows and those that are sick. And this is uh, the most that we've ever had a need for. In past years, the most we've ever had a need for was 90. And uh, so now we've gone from 90 to 120. And we're thankful that there were the resources of people uh, to provide this, to, to create them, and to deliver that many. And it's quite a feat. And, and we appreciate John and Jamie Stallworth and the great good that they uh, do on an ongoing basis. And uh, especially this week, they have worked a lot of hours here uh, putting all of that together. And then, of course, everybody that turned out Saturday uh, to help in that. Also, almost the very same time, uh, we had the Christmas parade passing in front of our building and we gave away hot chocolate and opened our building for individuals to come in and use the facilities. And uh, the community always appreciates that. And it's wonderful to be able to be a good neighbor. That's our goal is we want to be the best neighbor in the neighborhood if, in fact, we are the body of Christ. And so we're thankful uh, to have that opportunity to do that. And we're thankful for each one that did that. John Michael Kennedy put that together and and uh, Jeremy Keff uh, took a great leadership role in that and several in that Bible class of uh, the, whatever Bible class, I, I forget those, uh, those names, I get them mixed up, but <laughs> Faith Builders, I think is what it's called, but I wouldn't put my life on that. But uh, we're thankful for that class and for the good uh, that they do in that. What is it that causes individuals that have never heard anything of Christianity to still believe that there's something after this life. Let me give you a few examples here. Australians, for if we go back in history, they believed that there was a distant land beyond the western horizon that they would travel after death. The Finns believed that there was an island, an, an island far away in the east. The Mexicans and the Polynesians believed that they would go to the sun or to the moon after death. Native Americans believed that their spirits would fight the spirits of buffaloes. The Gilgamesh epic, which is an ancient Babylonian legend, believed that there was a place, a land, that the heroes would go and even gave hint to a tree of life that would exist there. The pyramids of Egypt would contain the embalmed bodies, but the resources and even the maps that would be needed for the future home that those individuals that passed away would travel to. You see, it is a fact that we do not know of an ancient civilization that did not believe in something beyond this life. Why? God placed within every one of us the innate sense that there must be something beyond this life. And isn't it wonderful that as Christians, and please don't take this for granted, isn't it wonderful as Christians, we don't have to guess and we don't have to spend our life looking at, at graves and, and, and just viewing life and the end of life and, and having that uneasiness and having that dread and having, having far more questions than what we could ever have answers. But as Christians, the resurrected Lord and the message of the resurrected Lord and us having part 
in the resurrection gives us a tremendous focus, gives us a tremendous vision that we can move toward in our life when we recognize truly this world is not our home. We really are just passing through. And what a difference that it makes. And, and maybe today, when you look at the title of this lesson, Pulling Up the Tent Pegs, surely you've wondered throughout the day, why? Why that title? Do you know that if you go back and study the Hebrew, and I'd like for you to turn to Numbers, the 33rd chapter. If you go back and study the Hebrew of, of the word departure, it literally means, and, and let's just jump forward one slide there, and, and notice this is, in Hebrew, this is the definition of departure. A primitive root properly to pull up, especially the tent pins. And it's a start on a journey. And if you skip down, it's, it's to take a journey, to take a march. It's to move, to set aside forward. It's to be on His way, or to go on their way. Etymology is, is really interesting, to really stop and think about words that's so common to us, and think, well, where did this come from? Like, none of us would think twice about the idea, we're going to depart this building. But then you think, well, what does that mean, depart? Well, there was a time where depart literally meant to tear down camp. We have our tent set up, but we're not going to stay here. We understand this is not our home. And so there's going to come a time where the leader of our group comes to us and says, pull up the tent pins. In other words, we are going to depart. And the book of Numbers, of course, if you need a, a jog of the memory, remember Numbers, the entire book, is about the 40 years of wilderness wandering that the children of Israel, they had just left their bondage in Egypt. That was their home, but they were leaving that home that was enslaved in sin. You see the symbolism? We're enslaved in sin. They were enslaved physically. And they were going to take a journey to this promised land. Just like you and I, this is not our home. And we want to be free of the slavery of sin. But now, in a sense, we're in this wilderness wondering if you want to parallel it here because we believe that there is a promised land. But the problem is, whenever we're in this wilderness wondering here, we forget that we're not pilgrims. And we start, instead of putting tent pins down, we start building foundations. We lay block and we build houses and, and we fall in love with the world. And the problem with that is, then we're not living in view of the fact, I want to depart. And then literally you can talk about heaven and somebody says, well, I have mixed emotions. I kind of love earth. I kind of like this, this world. I kind of want to stay here longer. Christianity doesn't paint a vision that you and I need to hate the earth. We need to hate life on this earth. It's not that at all. It's just that if we truly understand the Christian faith, there is so much greater waiting for us that we would never choose here over there unless here could help the kingdom's sake. In Numbers, the 33rd chapter, we have in one chapter, almost like a diary of the movements of the children of Israel as they left their home, wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, and then finally were going to move over. And I'd like for you to notice about 19 or 20 times, we're not going to read every one of these verses, but I just want you to notice 19 or 20 times he uses the word depart. Set the stage. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1 here of Numbers 33. These are the journeys of the children of Israel. It's like a diary here. These are the journeys of the children of Israel who went out of the land of Egypt by their armies under the hand of Moses and Aaron. 
Now Moses wrote down the starting points of their journeys at the command of the Lord. And these are the journeys according to their starting points. They departed from Ramses in the first month of the 15th day, on the first month of the day after the Passover, the children of Israel went out with boldness in the sight of all the Egyptians. Pause there for a moment. What are we reading here? They departed. They did what? Moses came up and said, it's time. Pull up the tent pins. We're breaking camp. And everybody immediately knew, we're leaving. We're, we're on our way. This is exciting. We're, we're going to be closer to the promised land than, than what we are now. And then you drop down to verse 6. How's it begin? They departed. We've stayed here long enough. We're tearing down the tents. Pull up the pins. We're on our way. You go to the verse 8. They departed. Verse 13. They departed. 15. They departed. 17. They departed. 18. 19. 20. Each time they departed. 27. 30. 31. 35. 41. 42. 43. 44. 45. 48. Every time it was saying, it's time to break down camp. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. Friends, do you realize, in a sense... All of us are on this journey of departure. We're one day closer than what we were yesterday. Here we are near the end of a year. We're one year closer than what we were last year at this time. But are you ready? Are you living your life in view of the departure so that you will be a part of the resurrection that have eternal life instead of those that are resurrected in the condemnation? And that's really what the whole Christian faith is about. The core is the resurrected Lord. It's not just you take the Lord out. You take the resurrected Lord out of the scene and you don't have the Christian faith. You take the very fact that we're going to resurrect one day out of the scene, you don't have the Christian faith. Christianity was never designed to be something that is only about the here and now on this earth. Christianity is to lead us to the eternal home. That departure is so important. As we're thinking about tents, I'd like to take you before we land back in 2 Corinthians, and and I know we're taking some time to get there, and we'll adjust the time for that, but I'd like to show you two more passages just to see how some of this fits together. It's beautiful how the Bible fits together. Go to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, Now this, of course, is going to talk about a time period before what we've just read. And this is about Abraham and his sons, Isaac and Jacob. And it's interesting that they too, Abraham that is, he also was on a journey. He had a home that he lived in, but God told him to leave this land, and he began to be on a journey. And even when he arrived to the promised land on earth... He still recognized, and this really amazes me, Abraham seemed to have a better understanding of an eternal home, an eternal bliss, that that many of the Old Testament, uh, the the prophets and all, and and I don't really know how he understood that. It'd be an interesting study to try to to delve into that and to see. But but notice what I mean here, uh, how it's revealed to us. Look in verse 8. By faith, this is Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out into the place. In other words, he was called to leave. Pick up your tent pens. Let's go. Travel. And they they were going to leave to the place which he would receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. See, he was a pilgrim. He never lived there as if it was his long-term home. 
dwelling what? In tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Why was he living in a tent? For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham, why don't you put down your roots? You finally, you've arrived to the land that he's given you. And Abraham could honestly say, look, I know this is my land on earth. I'm thankful for the land on earth God's given me. But I'm not putting my roots down here because it's not home. Abraham, what are you waiting on? He says, I'm waiting on that land that man didn't build the house I'm waiting on. Remember what Jesus said we read this morning, John 14? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Why? I go to prepare a place for you. Thousands of years before Jesus said that, Abraham understood it. Abraham's saying, I'm waiting on a land. I'm waiting on a house. I'm waiting on a place where God, He built the foundation. He built the structure. I'm waiting on that. Today, our life finds great peace when we do the right things with our understanding of this earth and eternity. That's why, and remember the key word at this moment is departure. I want to take you to a passage you know very well, but read it with new eyes, read it with freshness. Let's go to 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. Look at verse 6, 7, and 8. 2 Timothy 4, 6, 7, and 8. Paul knew this was going to be the end of his life. So this is some of the last writing that we have of of Paul uh, before he would die as a martyr. And he says in verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of what? The time of my departure is at hand. I've been living on this earth as a pilgrim and it's time for me to finally pull the tent pegs up. I'm leaving this home, this earth, and I'm going to my long home, my eternal home. This has been a short stay. Tents are short stays in traditional thinking. Like, for example, and and I'm not not trying to be political. I promise you I'm not. I'm just giving you an illustration. The, The Occupy groups... They've been scattered all over America and throughout the world. Those are probably, in some areas of America, going to be very short stays because winter's coming, right? When you think of hardships, when, when you think of blizzards, when you think of four-foot snows, when, when you think of ten degrees outside, do you think house, more permanent, or do you think tent, very temporary, We don't look at tents and say, that's my long-term home right there. Isn't it interesting that here the very word departure comes from the root of the idea of pulling up a tent. It's short-term. We're here to depart. Let's go ahead and finish this because I'd like for you to see how that departure is tied to something 
beautiful in the future. In other words, I think that's where we miss it when we say, I don't, I don't really know if, if I'm ready to leave this earth and I, if I want to leave this earth. Well, do we know what's waiting for us? Notice how he said it. He was ready because he says in verse 7, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. But notice what was pulling him. Notice the longing. Notice the motive, if you will, in verse 8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. What, what are you moving toward, Paul? And he said, victory. That's what the crown represented. A victory of righteousness. Remember this morning, the whole idea of death is swallowed up what? In victory. He says, I'm ready to depart, and I know that to depart, I'm going to have to go through the passageway of death. I'm not afraid. Hebrews 2, we studied this morning. I'm not afraid to go through the, 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 the avenue of death. I'm not afraid of that anymore. Why? Because victory has swallowed up death. Where did that victory come from? The victory is through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, that was verse 55, and then verse 57. You see how it all fits together that the departure is a wonderful blessing if the victory is in Jesus Christ, if our life is placed in Christ's care. What a wonderful, wonderful experience. So with that groundwork laid, let's go back and just walk through 2 Corinthians 5, and then the lesson is ours to, to give contemplation in our life and our faith. In 2 Corinthians 5, we'll just make some brief comments as we go here. I know you're wondering if that's true. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, earthly house, but then it's almost as if he says, I need to clarify and make sure you understand. When I talk of an earthly house, I'm not talking about anything permanent here. I'm talking about a tent. This earthly house, this tent is destroyed. And the word destroyed here. The root of it is to loosen. It's like to dilapidate. And so it too carries with it the idea of pulling tent pegs. Now I give you, to be honest with you, it's a little bit of a stretch. But in, in its root, it too carries that same meaning that, okay, this is going to be destroyed. It, it, was, it was erected, it was good, but not any longer. The tent pegs are pulled. Now it's destroyed. But for us as Christians, we realize it's not destroyed as in worse off. As Christians, we have victory through the resurrected Lord. And so it's not a destroyed as in do not exist, worse condition. We are departing. There's something better. We get on airplanes to depart from one city to another because we believe that that departure is beneficial for our plans. It's beneficial for our trip. In other words, you don't look at a departure and say, oh, this is terrible. This is death. No, that's the movement we want to make. Okay, so let's keep going here. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God. See, that new resurrected body that we're going to be given is from God. And so he calls it a building. And it's a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. But now we're back to this tent in verse 2. For in this, talking about this tent, this earth, this body, we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If we truly understand heaven and we understand now, we realize that the burdens we have now we won't have in heaven. And so we long for, for that place of rest. And in verse 3, if indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Now notice how we go back to the burdens in 4. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed. And this, this is powerful right here. But because we want, we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. You picturing that? 
mortality, death. It's going to be swallowed up what? By life. Life is going to destroy death. It's not my life and your life. It was the resurrected life of Jesus Christ that destroyed death. And so now we can have victory through what? Our Lord Jesus Christ. We can have victory through life. Whose life? Our Lord's life. The last enemy, 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, long verse about 24, 25, 26, speaks of the last day. And the enemies are going to be put down. He says, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. The resurrected Lord has already paid the price against death. And His resurrection is the power over death. And death will have no more power in that final day of resurrection. But now let's think about this for a moment. In this body, we have burdens. If we had time, I'd really love to develop this. We don't have time, but let me just say it. If right now you're saying, I don't have burdens. I don't have groanings in my body. Are you having open eyes and a compassionate heart to help others. There are far too many of us that we found a way that it's kind of like playing the hot and cold game. You're getting hotter, you're getting hotter, you're getting colder, you're getting colder. And we play the hot and cold game. And when we see someone who has a need, we get colder and we get colder and we get colder until we can walk through the day without seeing them because we don't want to be involved in their life. Too often times, we don't seek out the orphans. We don't seek out the the widows. We don't seek out those who are wrestling with addiction. We don't seek out those that are sick and they need someone to help them at that moment. We don't seek out the person that's depressed. We don't seek out, and we can go on and on with the list of those that are hurting and they need someone and so we don't seek them out and then we read verses like this and we say, life's not that bad on this earth. Walk through this next week with eyes like Jesus. Walk through this next week with a heart like Jesus and see if next Sunday if you don't have a longing for heaven. If you think this earth is the greatest place in existence, you're living a selfish life and you don't have an understanding of heaven. Satan has done his work here. And that's why it's not home for Christians. That the Lord has done his work and said, I've got a place waiting for you. And so whatever affliction, if you have your Bible open, you can go back. Keep in mind, it's man that put in the chapter breaks. If you go back just a few verses, like look in verse 17 of the fourth chapter. 17 of the fourth chapter. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are what? Temporary. And the things which are not seen are eternal. Now do you remember who's saying that this, this affliction that we're experiencing right now, it's a light affliction. 2 Corinthians 11th chapter, do you remember how Paul describes his life at this time? And look at, look at 2 Corinthians 11. I wish so much we had two or three hours a night. Look at 2 Corinthians 11. Look, look back at verse 23. We're going to pick up in the middle of 23. And, and as we read this, I just want you to think, this is the man who is saying, oh, this, what I'm going through on this earth is light affliction. 
And brethren, the point is, none of us would say it's easy. The only way Paul can say it's light is because he says, I look at the permanent, eternal glory, and when I look at that, right now, I can handle this stuff. This is light compared to the glory. So whatever suffering now... Well, Paul, what kind of suffering did you have? I am more in labors more abundantly, in stripes above measure. Paul, how many times have you been whipped and stripes have been left on you? I I can't count. I, I don't know. It's above measure. In prisons more frequently. You and I can remember the number of nights that we spent in jail because we've been Christians. Paul says, I don't know. I would just have to say it's real frequent that I've done that. In deaths, often. Paul, how many times did you barely make it through? Often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Remember Jesus scourging? That's what that's talking about right there. Except he had five times that he was scourged. By the time he's writing this, so it was more persecution after he wrote this. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. He was stoned later on. It's not recorded here. Three times I was in shipwreck. He's in shipwreck after this time too. In journeyings often. In perils or troubles in water. Robbers, own countrymen, Gentiles, in city, in the wilderness, in the sea, among false brethren, in weariness and toiling, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Paul, how do you go through life Keeping your faith when you have this heavy weight of persecution. He says, no, 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 no. This is light affliction. Now in this room, there would be some that right now feel like your burdens are almost more than what you can bear. And I think all of us have been or will be there at some time in our life. So I'm not just targeting you, but please listen to this. Our burdens will overcome us if we don't live in view of eternity. But when we look to eternity, we realize that what we are dealing with now is so light compared to the greatness of what is promised to us in the future. And so the glory is great. And so Paul is saying, I can handle this. I'm going to go through this and I'm not going to give up because I want the victory that is waiting for me That glorious, glorious victory. So we go back to the fifth chapter. And we see what we read this morning in 6, 7, and 8, that the word confident is used twice. And in 8, he even said, well-pleasing. And we extend the invitation with this in mind. And by the way, those were talking about the fact that he's confident that one day we're going to leave this body and we're going to be with the Lord And he's confident in the fact, very well pleased in the idea of not being present in this body and being with the Lord. It was something they looked forward to. But with that in mind, he says in 9, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present, talking about in this body, or absent. We've already moved on. We make it our aim to be well pleasing to Him. What are you going to do this week? Can you honestly say, I'm going to be well-pleasing to God? Whatever burdens you're wrestling with right now, can you say, my burdens will not take me away 
from being well-pleasing to God. Whatever challenges you're wrestling with right now, can you say, my challenges will not keep me away from being well-pleasing to God. That's my aim. And the word aim here literally has to do with labor and eagerness. It's the idea to say, I'm ready to work at this, I'm ready to make it, we'd say, top priority. I want to make this happen. Paul, what do you want to make happen? He says, now let's work through this backwards just a moment. Here's what I want to make happen. I want to be well-pleasing to the Lord. Why? Because I think it's a good thing that one day I'm going to be absent from this body because when I am absent from this body, I want to be with the Lord. Why? Because I recognize that right now I'm just in a tent. And what I want is that eternal home. Because right now I have burdens. But you know what? There are light afflictions compared to that glorious place that's waiting for me. I want victory in Jesus. I want to go home. If we miss home, it's one thing to miss home for a week when you're away on a trip. But you imagine missing home for an eternity. I believe one of the worst parts of hell is not going to be fire. I believe one of the worst parts of hell is going to know constantly what you've missed. Our soul is made to be at home with God. And Paul says, I'm ready to pull up the tent pegs. I'm ready to depart. Whatever burdens I have now, they're light compared to the wonderful Wonderful gifts of glory that's waiting. Satan likes to confuse us, distract us, fog the the air around us. And today, allow God's Word to purify our minds and our hearts. And if there's anything that we can do to encourage you, if there's anything we can do to help you take steps in the right direction of the journey, If you're ready to be immersed in Christ or if you're ready to come back to Him, come as we stand, as we sing.
we're always grateful for the opportunity to pray for and with each other. Judy Alexander uh, comes forward and she says she needs the prayers of the church. She's going through a lot and she's been depressed and uh, she wants prayers of strength. I know her mother is very ill. Hospice uh, is taking care of her mother and her father's been ill also. And um, it's a good place to be in the Lord's family. And uh, it's a good journey to be on, to be headed toward a heavenly home uh, where we can have rest. Let's bow. Our most gracious God, we realize our debt to you is far greater than what we could ever think of repaying. So we thank you from the depths of our being for your grace, for your mercy, for your undying love for us.